Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, I want to talk to you about a title I came up with from this passage of James that we're going to be in today, A Godless Life. I almost don't like saying it, but there are people all around us that live a godless life. Matter of fact, there's several groups out there. There's one called the Freedom from Religion Foundation. There's the other one called Atheist United. Have you noticed you rarely find an atheist soup kitchen? Like every Monday night, we, we, we have a great uh, serving team that feeds the under-resourced here in our community. And, but uh, uh, by the way, you can get a meal uh, every day of the week at a different church. And you can also get food distribution from the Santa Barbara Food Bank at a different church. And Catholic Charities runs the Lompoc Food Pantry. But they don't have the Atheist Food Pantry. I've never seen the Atheist Food Pantry. If you see one, let me know. Well, anyway, uh, this is in North Carolina, right in the middle of the Bible Belt. Somebody graffitied on it, sorry. Uh, but uh, Mary Shulitz, retired teacher and atheist, says, I believe in reason and logic. Uh, the next one that we see, this was actually up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, this happy heathen is good without God. She looks sweet, doesn't she? I think she needs God. Now, don't go to FFRF.org, that's freedom from religion, but uh, look at this next uh, slide. This really says it all. We've got the whole world in our hands. You remember the old song? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, baby. Hey, in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. No, wait, 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 wait. You don't really mean that. Now, listen, we have a wonderful country where we are free to speak our minds, and we have a universe where we are free to think whatever we want to think, and I believe we should teach our kids how to think and what to think and what to believe. They're not just given information, but they know how they arrived at the information that they believe in. But free thinking, if we're not careful, can be reduced to defiant thinking. And you'll see it in Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul does a masterful job of telling us about the downfall of Rome. Rome was the smartest, largest, most powerful it had the greatest economy, the greatest trade of any government in the world. And he says in Romans 1, for although they knew God, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became what? Futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Wisdom that does not come from God, ends up being foolish. And our hearts are so desperately wicked, Jeremiah said this, the old prophet, that we don't know our own hearts, that if we think we're all wise and we're all that, we could just end up being futile in our thinking. We could end up foolish. Now, rather than us turning this into a rally, 
against people that don't believe there is a God, I would like to turn it into a challenge to ourselves. There is what's called by many practical atheists. They attend church. They decide who to marry if they go that route, who to date if they go that route. They select a vocation that seems interesting. They grow a family. They buy and sell homes and cars and stuff. They expand their portfolios and their investments. They slip into retirement. And all the while, they ride the current of culture without ever including God, without ever including him. Now, you might not spot these practical atheists right away, but just listen to them talk about values and morals. Just listen to them talk about controversial issues or how they raise their kids or how they spend their money and their time. And listen for this phrase, I ask God what he should have me do. I ask God what his will might be for my life. I ask God what he would like me to do in this season of my life and how to use my influence and my resources to give him glory, how God would want me to order my days. A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God but lives as though God does not exist. And they probably were in the 915 service, not the 1045 service. We live however we want. Land of the free, home of the brave. I did it my way. And rarely will you hear them say this, and we should say this often, Lord, am I pleasing you with my life? Is this decision I'm about to make acceptable to you? Does it give, it, give you glory? Does the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart give you praise? Is it acceptable to you? Lord, have your way in me. Lord, would you please direct my steps today? Lord, would you give me wisdom at school today? I want to live out my relationships with your word, your word, the scriptures in my life and in my heart. Lord, help me every moment to resist the temptation that I know is right around the corner lurking for me. People are filling churches today all over Santa Barbara County, and that's a good thing. But not everybody who fills those churches says, God, have your way, have your way in me. We go to James chapter 4 today as we continue our series. And in verse 13, he says, Now listen to you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Now, by the way, God, if you're in business, he wants you to make money because if you don't make money, you're going to end up closing shop. Am I right? And by the way, did you hear we're getting to Jersey Mike's in Lompoc? Good. A couple people know that. I hope they don't put it right behind Blaze Pizza because yeah. <laughs> traffic's a little, but that's another story. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Why do you not even know that what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and... See it? It's your life. If you can't see it, so fast it goes. It's like a puff of smoke. It's like a vapor. It's like steam out of a pot. It's here for a minute. It appears. And then from this vantage point, it disappears. It vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's what? Well, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All boasting is evil. If 
Anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. It is sin for them. James is like this pastor who comes with a proverb-like edge to him. He begins to speak to us about our lives and how we put things together. In James 4.13, again, he says, listen, lean in. I want you to hear this. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. The word is uh, translated in the Greek. You consistently make this kind of decision. In other words, it's not a flippant, spontaneous decision that you've made once in a while. This is the continual way that people are living. You say today or tomorrow, we will go and we will do and we will spend a year there and we'll carry on business and we'll make a profit. This is kind of the way you do life. That's what James is saying. You are a Christian atheist. You have no room for God, and you haven't considered the fact that that your life is like this. We'll talk more about that in a moment, and then we'll have oatmeal. No, I'm kidding. James 4, verse 4, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We talked about that in a recent message. And he's not just talking about you, you like stuff that's in the world. You have a hobby or you, have, you, know, you like art, you like music. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you have embraced the world system. You become a friend of the world's way of thinking. Not only free thinking, but defiant thinking. And he says, hey, you become an enemy of God. And then back in James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their what? Their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So in verse uh, 13, we're told several things. We're told, and it's not in your notes, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. We're, we're told that this is a group of people that were choosing their own timetable. This is what we're going to go. This is when we're going to go. And they're choosing their own destination. This is where we're going to go. We're going to jump ahead of God. We're not going to even ask God to clear the obstacles in our life. We're just going to simply say, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. The third thing, we choose our tenure. This is how long we're going to stay. We're going to spend a year there. We choose our occupation. And then the last part is we're banking on a good outcome, a good ROI, return on investment. But I'd like you to read with your best now we understand that we're just a puff of smoke voice. Ephesians 5, 15, and 17. Let's read it. Ready? Go. Be very careful then how you live, not as but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do but understand. It's almost like James and Paul were having a conference. You make sure you tell people, discover the will of God and know what the will of God is because we don't know how long we have. Our life is like a vapor. It's, it's here one minute and it's gone the next. There it goes. That's the center section. Here you go. There's you guys. Here you go. Here comes you guys. We're glad you were here. You made a mark on society. Yeah. Anybody remember Harold Drain? He pastored his church here. He pastored here three pastors ago. 
And he was here when he took the church. I think there was 45 people. And he left with just a few more. The old sanctuary, no longer here. It's in the landfill now. He called it the House of Praise. House of Praise, Foursquare Church. Big old sign out front, House of Praise. He believed that praise was supposed to be what we did. He moved out to Palmdale. He was on Highway 14 and driving out there, and a car went over the double yellow line, hit him head on, died instantaneously. Harold Drain. You guys don't even know him. Harold, thanks for your service, buddy. We, we, can, we can be here and, and we can be gone that quickly. And aren't you glad you came to church to hear about <laughs> all you are as a vapor? Stop presumptuous living in your notes. David Freeman was the co-author of a book that swept the publishing world. It was entitled, A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. And he listed out a hundred places you should visit, kind of like a bucket, bucket list for, for where you should go, a destination bucket list. And while he moved from the East Coast to Venice, California, right next to Santa Monica, at the ripe old age of 47, he was walking in his house and he slipped and fell and hit his head on the concrete Went to the hospital, and on August 17, 2008, David Freeman died. The LA Times report, and I quote, David wrote a great book, but only saw half of the sights that he told the rest of the world to go see. You have, number one, no knowledge of what tomorrow holds. I know some of you think you do. Oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar. James 4.14 says in the Message Bible, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. But practical atheists say, I've got all the tomorrows planned out. I know exactly who I'm going to see, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to eat. I probably even know the time I'll go to bed. But you don't know. December 6th. Young couple serving in the United States Navy. They've cut down their Christmas tree. They've decorated their apartment. They have no children. They're young, but they're looking to the future. And after they decorate their apartment, they step outside, walk a few feet. They watch the sunset go down. And she looks at him and says, what's the plans for tomorrow? He says, well, honey, we'll get up and have breakfast and we'll go to the Naval Chapel and we'll start worshiping the Savior who was born in Bethlehem. And after church, we'll take a ride up the coast of Oahu. We'll go to a little secluded beach, a little romance, you and me, got no kids. And the next morning, December 7th, 1941, the phone rang, the report for duty, because all hell is breaking loose in Pearl Harbor. And he went, sat at a gun, manned a gun, and he never came home. 
Not many of you were around then, but let me fast forward to 2001, Monday Night Football, the inauguration of Monday Night Football, the year 2001. The Giants were coming off of a Super Bowl loss to the Baltimore Ravens, who had also beaten the Broncos in the postseason. The matchup and the opening at Invesco Field, Mile High Stadium, Monday Night Football, the spotlight was on. The Broncos won. 31 to 20, September 10th, 2001. The next morning, September 11th, remember? Some of you were here. The same TVs that watch football or the cooking channel, if you're not into sports, look like a special effects movie with Tom Cruise and Bruce Willis. Almost couldn't believe our eyes, if you remember. Well, can I tell you, that night as we had a prayer service, this place was packed. And can I tell you, for the next five months, if you were late like some of you were this morning, you couldn't have got a seat here. Because everybody was concerned with being a vapor. Everybody was concerned with what could happen the next day in their lives. America was under attack, and people were concerned Oh, people came to Christ in droves. People came to me screaming, what are we going to do? There's all these people here. They're bringing their kids. They said, we should build a new sanctuary, Pastor. I said, this will pass. And within six months, it did. Got room for you today. <laughs> Monday, September 10th, 12 investors gathered the South Tower 101st floor, and they said, let's all come in early tomorrow, extra early tomorrow, so we can make those investment deals, and in a year from now, we will all have made millions of dollars, each one of us. They gathered early in the South Tower, and as you know the story, they never returned. I can't believe I'm quoting from Shakespeare this morning. Some of you are going, Wow! But Shakespeare writes in Macbeth, if you look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, then speak then to me. But the good thing about Shakespeare is he's quoting from Ecclesiastes, the Bible. Ecclesiastes eleven six says, sow your seed in the morning and evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. We just don't know about tomorrow. We who live in Santa Barbara County, we get this. One day everything's fine. The next day a fire breaks out. Before you know it, homes are devastated. Lives are lost. The fire breaks out. Within 21 minutes of the first 911 call, three homes are totally engulfed in flame and lost. And no one would have ever anticipated the day before that the rains that would come would cause boulders the size of this church to roll down in Montecito. This is real stuff. I'm not going to stay here very long because some of you, are, I can feel it. Young girl, she's a part of Lompoc Foursquare Church. I'm she serves here, she's involved in ministry, she's a great young girl, she turns 21 and decides 
to go to a local bar with some of her girlfriends. After all, she's 21. You know what that means, right? Well, unless you're careful, it means you're stupid. She'd never really drank before, but now she did with her girlfriends. And her girlfriends are drinking, and she's drinking, and she doesn't even understand how much alcohol she's had, because this is like her first time. And so the girlfriends leave, and she's there, and she meets this guy in Lompoc, and he's encouraging her to have more. True story, he takes her home, his apartment, convinces her to dance with him and drink a little more, and I'll be careful with my specifics, but they end up dancing right into the bedroom. And for the first time in her life, this virgin Christian girl experiences whatever you want to call it, sex outside of marriage, promiscuity, you name it. I fast forward the tape, nine, ten months, she's feeling sick, she doesn't know why. She's had flu after flu, cold after cold, doesn't know why. Doctors are running tests, they don't know what's going on, and finally the doctor says, um, we're going to do another test, and he turns out to be HIV positive. One night, one day. But now, before I get too down, young couple in the church, they're told they can't have children, there's no way on earth they'll ever have kids. They just resign to the fact it's not for them. Every doctor, every Specialists, every in vitro person has told them, no way on earth can you have kids. And one morning she wakes up, she's throwing up. Her husband says, food poisoning, dear. I know exactly what that is, food poisoning. And she tells some of her girlfriends, um, I've got this really weird feeling in my tummy. And they all go, <laughs> morning sickness. One day, one day, and she ends up having a kid. Doctors said, no way, it never happened. Single gal in our church tells me, uh, Pastor, pray for me. I said, Well, why? Well, because I put my bio on Christian Mingle. Oh, sure. Sure. Go right ahead. And she says, I met this dude, and he's really nice. I, I, I had him meet me with all my friends around, so it wouldn't be like weird. He wouldn't abduct me or anything. And uh, we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and he shared his faith with me, and I shared my faith with him, and I did a background check on him. I hired a PI. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, that's wisdom. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see his bank statements. I wanted to see everything because I wanted to know everything about him. Hello? Hello? Anyway, let me fast forward. They got married in this sanctuary, and if you saw them today, you'd go, man, they're in love. They really are in love. I mean, one, one, one day. One day she's single, next day she meets the guy. Everything could change. And aren't we enamored with people who somehow tell us they can predict the future? There are still psychics all around. I never can believe how somebody could open a shop, psychic reader, life coach, and tell you things like, bring your money to me, your money's cursed. I will uncurse it for you. You'll have financial prosperity. But I need to keep the money in order for you to be prosperous. And people are gullible. I know Christians that still read their horoscope. If you did this morning, sorry. Because sometimes you just want to know what Leos are doing. 
I art a Leo. That's all I know about astrology. I'm a Leo, which means I'm a lion. That's it. And if I see it in the paper, I don't even look. And then there's people on TV that are trying to predict the future. And how many times have they been wrong? But then they, people still listen to their stuff and their podcasts and buy their material. You have no assurance, number two, of a long life. No assurance. Sorry. Don't overlook the unpredictable nature of life and don't overlook the brevity of life. In James's time and in the second and third century, bookkeepers would write this word on the first page of their ledger. Momento more. In large letters, which simply is a Latin phrase that means remember your mortality. Remember you're not here forever. Remember the job you hold today, you won't hold forever. Remember the house you live in today. I know you like it, but you won't be there forever. Someone else will be there someday, and someone else is going to have to go through all your junk. Well, let, me just, let me just tell you from a pastor who's walked with people through the loss of their loved ones, don't collect so much junk or hoard so much junk that someone else has to clean it up when you leave. All right. Boy, you didn't want to hear that, did you? Yeah, yeah. I helped a police officer years ago who lost his sister. Two roll-off dumpsters. All her precious articles went to the dump. And the church, myself included, had to go clean it up. We think we're going to live forever. We, we, we think we're going to be here. But Psalm 90 verse 12 says... Don't worry, we'll get positive before we leave. Psalm 90, verse 2, 12 says, let's read it. Teach us to number that we may gain a heart of what? Of wisdom. God, you teach us to number our days. We're not here forever. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is audience participation. Does anybody know, as of Friday, does anybody know the lifespan of an American living in the U.S.? Today, what is a lifespan? How many years? 70 what? 72? 80 what? 87.5872. What about over here? You got one? Huh? 90? Did you say 90? Oh, jeez. It's 78.74 years. So let's talk about how many days you have left. If you're 15, you have 23,162 days left. That sounds like a long time, so let's figure it out in months. If you're 15 years old, you have 763 months left. If you live to be 78.74 years, it gets better. If you're 25 years old, you have 643 months left. Doesn't seem that long, does it? If you're 35 years old, you have 523 months left. If you're 45, you have 403 months left. If you're 55, anybody around there? Good. 283 months. If you're 65, <clears throat> or thereabouts, 163 months left. 
It's not even working. It's off. If you're 75 years old, you have 36.74 months left. If you're 80 years old, sit there and relax because you've beaten the odds. Yeah. I don't know if you're watching, but we got a guy in his 80s that watches online. Yay! But remember, friend. Okay. James 4.14, what is your life? Let's read it. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Uh, the word uh, vapor is atmos. We get atmosphere from it. It's a puff of smoke. It's a wisp of fog. Here's where he should live. The way we should live, James tells us, to have faith work in our lives. We ought to say, if it's the Lord's will. Not my will, Lord. Isaiah 40 tells us there's no one like our God who could be compared to him. Uh, the Hebrew reads this way, who's even worthy of climbing up to the scale to be weighed against God? That's how they compared things. No one's even worthy to stand in line to climb in the scale next to God. But yet how many people have become their own God to themselves? Instead, you ought to say, verse 15, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. Old timers used to say it this way. Well, the Lord's will and the creek don't rise. I grew up in Burbank. We had no creek. We had the LA River. It rose all the time. It's kind of cool. We went and played in it. But you get what they mean. If the Lord willing and the bridge doesn't wash out, the Lord willing and the economy doesn't fail, the Lord, the Lord willing. So here's what James says. You need to stop talking like you're sovereign and start talking like you're surrendered to the sovereign. When somebody says to you, what's your plan? And you don't really know, tell them this. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to seek godly wisdom. I'm going to learn from the experiences of others. We had that in a recent message. I'm going to consult the scriptures, and I'll get back to you on that. I had a young leader not too long ago. I asked him a question. I said, how would you like to do X, Y, and Z? And, and he said to me, quickly, I mean quickly, well, let me pray about it. And he said, oh, by the way, let me, let me pray and fast. Every time my tummy growls from not eating, I'm going to ask God again, what is your will for my life? Let me seek godly counsel and wisdom, and I'll get back to you, Pastor. I thought, whoa, way to go, man. Because we are a quick society, aren't we? Somebody texts us, burr, burr, burr. we got to respond. I mean, we respond right away. I'm, I'm guiltier than guilty on that one. Oh, somebody needs my... And I've really been trying. I've really been trying. I've really been trying hard to... Say, wait a minute, Lord, let me catch my breath. Let me pause for a moment. Let me ask you what you think about this. Let me say it this way, whatever the Lord wants. Let me ask the Lord about it. Let me check with the Lord. Let me talk to my sovereign Lord first. And when the minute you say, Lord, you know what we're thinking about. It's the Lord's will. When you say, Lord, you're talking about the sovereign and the servant. It's Lord Master. It's Lord Supreme. You would never go into the king's chambers and tell the king, well, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but we have an order for you today. I'm sorry, 
No orders for me. I know exactly what I'm doing, where I'm going, how long I'll stay. Somebody in our military could say, well, I don't get to say much about where I go. I just go where they tell me to go. And then I say, but yes, when you get there, you can ask God, who should you engage in? Where should you go to church? How should you still raise your kids? I mean, even though somebody's telling you when to move and where to move to, you still have a say in how you live. We should live as though we are surrendered to the sovereign. Jesus modeled this for us in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet... Oh, isn't that great? Shouldn't it be every day? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Whatever you want from me. Now, Jesus knew what tomorrow was holding for him. He knew the cross was there. He knew they were going to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew all about that. And while he's weeping and pouring out himself, he surrenders himself to God and says, Lord, I surrender to you. Take my life exactly the way you want it to be. A couple quick lessons as we wrap this thing up. There is a will that we need to respect. This message teaches us, this passage of Scripture teaches us there's a will that we need to respect. It's the Lord's will, supreme master. And when we surrender to his will, this will keep us from pride. James 4, 6, remember, God resists who? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proud people say, I know what I know, and I'm going to live by what I know. There. But is there any change in your mind? Nope. I've got it all figured out. That's why Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my family's verses, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future an expected end. I know exactly what the end of your life looks like. I, I've seen the vapor. I've seen it go. And in between now and then, I have plans for you. See, a proud person says, I've got plans for myself. But a humble person says, I've consulted with the Lord and people who know the Lord and the word of God and the experiences of people, both good and bad. And here's what I've come up with. James 4.16 goes on to say, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And the problem is we're going to play tug of war with God until we die. Or, get this, we can just give him the rope. (laughs) After all, Lord, you take the rope because this is all I am. On my best day, with the wind blowing in the right direction, on my most magnificent play of life, I am just a puff of smoke. And someday, some preacher may stand here and say, do you guys remember Fetterman? And the response will be just like when I said, do you remember Harold Drain? Same response. Or pastor, I hope he uses me as an illustration. That would be kind of nice. But he may not. You think of you, all that you've accomplished in life. Someday ain't nobody going to be talking about you. Sorry. I know you want, but I'm going to build a big memorial to myself. 
Let me help you build that memorial, the one that matters. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Offer your body, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just singing, great are you, Lord, but your true and proper worship is giving yourself to God. And now watch this. It's almost like James and Paul were talking together. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, the world system, the world's free thinking that becomes defiant, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have your way, Lord. And I'll tell you how you know that God starts to give you his will and his way. He brings you in his strategy room when he knows you've surrendered to him. I have people say all the time, I just want to know what God wants me to do. Well, read this verse. You get to know what God wants you to do when he knows that you're totally sold out to him. I mean, why would God give you the strategy or the X's and O's when he knows you're not going to run the play that he called? Oh, years ago, another boy in this church, <laughs> Lump Oak High School football, they got a great history of wonderful teams. I saw the coach at school. I was on the campus. He said, hey, hey, Pastor Bernie, I want to talk to you about, and he said the kid's name. He goes, the kid's a knucklehead. I said, really? I knew that about the kid. He says, we, we give him the ball and tell him to run right, and he runs left. We, we tell him to run left, and he runs up the middle. Whatever play we draw up and give him opportunity, he screws it up. And I quote, can you talk with him? I said, sure, I'll be happy to talk with him. Well, I tell him. And so I had a conversation, and I said, coach really likes you. He thinks you have potential. Don't you like that word? Yeah. But he needs you to listen a little more. And here's what he said in defiant, free thinking. They don't know what they're doing. I said, you understand the legacy of the Braves? Get over yourself, kid. He went to the next practice and started mouthing off to the coach. Coach called me up and said, I'm trying. I said, yeah, he's trying your patience, isn't he? He said, yeah. Let's have a game plan to help the kid. So my game plan was this. Shut your mouth. Surrender to the coach. Run the play he calls you to run. If it fails, it's his fault. Run it. And he didn't. The following year, he came out to the field. The coach said, you're not getting any playing time unless. And guess what happened? You ready for this? He never got any playing time. By the way, this has been this young man's pattern of life since I've known him. And when I think of him, I pray for him to somehow surrender himself to God, to live out in the pleasing and perfect will of the Lord. See, knowing God's will begins with surrender and renewed thinking about your position in life. There is a God, it is not you. You got that? You don't need to hear that again, right? Yeah. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. 
sin. Some would say, I don't know everything about the will of God. And my answer would be, who does? But James would say, what is it that you do know about the will of God? Do it. What do you know about his will? Do it. Because he says, if you don't do what you know you're supposed to do, then that's a sin. And you might say, well, no, I sin. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Commit adultery. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Right? Right? Honor the Sabbath. But if you know something that's right and you don't do it, he says that's a sin. Secondly, there's a destiny to remember. A destiny. <laughs> it's already gone. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is seen is, come on. Come on, you can, you can hang. A couple more minutes. Come on. Yeah, it's, it's eternal. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, to make the most of your life, you must keep the vision of eternity continually in your mind and the value of it in your heart. One eye on the world, one eye on heaven. Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, but don't be so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. And number three, there's a life to realize. We need to realize it. The wisdom of the world says trust in yourself. The Bible says trust in God. The world says believe in yourself. The Bible says believe in God. The world says you're wonderful. Everybody gets a trophy. The Bible says you are wonderful. You're a wonderful sinner. And unless you repent, you will perish. Isn't that good news? The world says you can do it, and the Bible says let God do it in you and through you. The world says discover how wonderful you are, and the Bible says take time to discover how wonderful God is. The world says you just need to change your attitude, and the Bible says you need to change your heart. The world is encouraging you to discover the God within you. He's there. He's right inside you. Look for him. Put your fingers together and say, Om, he's right there. But the true and living God who created you and me says, I am God. There is no other God like me. I am everywhere. Discover me. See, our problem is not needing to know the truth about tomorrow. It's needing to live the truth that we know today. So, wherever you are, make the most of every opportunity. Wherever you are, ask the Lord to guide you and have his will be in your life. We're going to close with a song. Jeff's going to come back. and I want to read these words before we close with this last song. It's from a great old hymn that says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded, and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.